They were so precious and they were so powerful uh, tonight as uh, I just couldn't, um, I just wasn't, wasn't, sometimes I can't really um, compose, keep myself composed when I imagine we're, we're before the Lord that way and, and being led in lyrics and the songs that way. It's just so, so precious. It's so, so powerful. Um, And I know you experience that as well. You're experiencing the sweet, sweet presence of the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful for these ones who are leading us in that kind of worship. I just uh, can't imagine our worship really without them. So, so grateful. And I'm so grateful for you. Um, who are here tonight and just with open hearts, willing to receive whatever he has for us. And that will be, that will be enough. I also wanted to say that me and Jenny, they, we're getting spoiled at the Scribner residence. We're getting teetotal spoiled. And I don't know how we're going to be able to manage, honey, once we get back to Ohio. It's, I, I just, we'll, we'll figure it out. Don't worry too much about it. But I know we're going to figure it out. But it has been so rich. It's been so rich. And there's no end to their hospitality. There's no end. It's the, it's the bottomless pit. Um, and we sure, we sure are grateful. And these, um, this wonderful family that has taken our little family in is just uh, so precious and so enriching. And so I know, um, I know that generous heart is lavished out on you too. So don't think I, I don't know that. Um, so all that God is, um, all that he's for, it is amazing that he's for his own name and nature. We, we can understand that, but we'll never be able to quite understand you, you'll never be able to explain it even, um, that, he's, uh, that he's for us, that Jesus is for us, and all the ways he is for us, what he has done for us that we couldn't do. There was no way possible that he could, and it just doesn't stop. He keeps on giving the great, generous God that, that he is, our wonderful Father, and so he's, he's for us even in the gift of his Holy Spirit. And tonight I want to explore this wonderful truth that just uh, enlivens each and every one of us. It, it animate, he animates each and every one of us. And that is when the Holy Spirit re-spirited humanity. When, when the Holy Spirit re-spirited, I was trying to think of the best word for that, but I, I went with re-spirited us because I know how dead we were. And he has re-spirited, the Holy Spirit has re-spirited humanity through Christ, of course, and in us. And to, to think of how John and Luke you know, went back and forth. Luke was, you know, the, the Holy Spirit, you know, is in you and that you receive the Holy Spirit. But John said, yeah, 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 don't forget though. John wanted us to know that we're drawn into the life of the triune God of grace. We're drawn into that reality and that becomes a, the grace uh, for us. So he, so yeah, you, you can't speak with just one side of your mouth on these things. You have to speak in a fullness, in a full way that only, only Jesus 
really can accomplish. Only the, through the Holy Spirit can we, can we come to terms with it and accept it in our limitations and our, in our fi- finiteness. But this is, uh, this is uh, one of the great promises. And this is one of the great promises made. And it was one of the great promises kept, if you will, in the scriptures. I'm going to take a peek there in Hebrews chapter 8 again. And remind you as you turn there, Hebrews chapter 8, uh, verse 10, and it, yeah, verse 10, uh, that the cry, of, the cry of the Old Testament is for the Holy Spirit to come. Um, they know it. Anyone that reads the Old Testament knows it, that you come to the end of the Old Testament and they just want that new spirit. They want, they know, they know the darkness they live in. They know what they can't accomplish. And uh, that is the, uh, the truth that God has made some promises and he's kept them. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. But this is the new covenant I will make. With the people of Israel on that day says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds so they will understand them. And I will write them on their hearts so they will obey them. I will be their God and they will be my people. When we think of being spirited or re-spirited or spirited again um, we have to we have to explore some of the bad news and that's really not too hard to do when you think of what what is happening in the human spirit Uh, we find not only in early Israel uh, something of the spirit we covered of, uh, of disobedience and they had that in spades. Uh, as we know, didn't, uh, they didn't have to learn that. It was in them. It characterized them at, at deep levels, at some pretty dark places. And you, when you read their story, you think, how? How can they be so blind? How can they be so stiff-necked? How can they be so rebellious? You know, he's parted the Red Sea. If I had seen the Red Sea part, you know, we we all have those uh, ideas of how we'd do it if we were there. But the reality is the scriptures is just painting a picture of uh, what happens when the spirit, when, when the dead spirit manifests itself. Not the spirit of life, not the Holy Spirit, not the spirit of God uh, for sure, not the spirit that is dead or the spirit that is removed because of our sinfulness, because of our pride, because of our sloth, uh, our unwillingness to become all that he wants us to be. No, when that, that spirit dies and that spiritual death is a serious thing and it produces this rebellious attitude and it's just a part of the human condition. Now that's early Israel. 
But we covered a little bit, didn't we? When the prophets came along, they had another serious uh, problem of spirit. And they called it the spirit of adultery. It was spiritual adultery is what the prophets claimed. And it pictured God as being hurt, hurt in his heart, in his heart level of what we call the spiritual prostitution and how it must have pained God to see his people give themselves to unclean things to things and to behaviors that wasn't how he created them. It was so far from the mark. It could only be sin and rebellion and what the prophets called the spiritual adultery or spiritual prostitution. Others will talk in the scriptures throughout. It's a great Old Testament theme, but that spirit of slavery it's the spirit of, of oppression. And you look down through the history of humankind and you know that's in us. That's very much in us. And we don't have to be taught it. We don't even have to learn it. We somehow know that it's in our spirits to oppress and in a sick, twisted way, make a home in oppression. Just live it. Live oppressed lives. Live enslaved to things. You just can't imagine the human spirit that is so enslaved. And then we visited Mark 1, 24, Jesus and the demons were identifying him and said, we know exactly who you are. And in Mark, they're the only ones that get it right. And that is, you are, the, you are the holy one. And we see Jesus um, deal again and again and again with the spirit of evil. In fact, the... The scripture I read said an unclean spirit, an evil spirit, an evil spirit. And that is the, that is the spirit of death. It's not the spirit of life. It's not the spirit you were created with, humankind. No, that spirit, if you can call it that, that's run amok in our world it is not the Holy Spirit that's in people's hearts that's, that's uh, motivating people no this is the manifestation we see it all around it's the manifestation of death and here comes the creator God what? to find everywhere evil is entrenched in the created order Wherever evil is entrenched, he's here. And only he can deal with it. Only he is qualified as the only begotten son of God 
That's the Holy One. Only he is qualified to expunge it, to deal with it. Um, and that's what he's doing in the Gospels. Every, every chance, wherever that evil is entrenched, he's dealing with it. And by that expulsive power of love, um, he's expunging it. He's expelling it. He's setting people free. Oh, this is, um, this is a dark picture. I, I want to go back a few years. I think it was 89. All those years ago, the, the Iron Curtain fell. And after, and the Soviet Union was dissolved in as a union and you remember that the those countries behind the iron curtain opened up and what we experienced and saw was was what kind of spirit and what kind of oppressive spirit uh, was at work behind that iron curtain and in those in those satellite countries. And it was horrifying. Now, this is just the most recent history. We could talk about, we could talk about uh, China and, and its, uh, its great leap forward. And what that great leap forward supposedly produced in the, the, the spirits of those people. I won't even go to imagine North Korea the very little bit we see coming out of North Korea, they're automatons. And I don't say that uncharitably toward any person. I don't say that to be unkind uh, to, to the people of that nation. But I just, I just say that is, seems to be the reality. They're automatons. Everything is fixed in their mind. They speak like robots about their this their deity the um, their um, their premier um, but here here in Eastern Europe in a little more recent history um, when that iron curtain fell we begin to see what kind of spirit is produced in people um, without God without hope without true freedom, true freedom. I was reading a paper not too long ago. There are major universities trying to, they're scratching their heads trying to decide if they're going to revoke all of the honorary doctorates they gave to Elena Ceausescu. Elena Ceausescu was the wife of Nikolai Ceausescu. Um, he, was, they, he was the president of Romania. And one of the stipulations that they placed upon any nation they visited was that Elena should receive an honorary doctorate from uh, one of the universities of that country. 
So it was very fascinating to see how the State Department were like, okay, we've got to give her some kind of honorary doctorate. Well, and many did. And now these universities are like, how are we going to revoke it? It's interesting. Elena Ceausescu, um, although her name is on multiple patents, uh, chemical patents, um, she was basically scientifically illiterate. She imagined herself uh, and demanded people call her by this title. Uh, and in English, it's, it's, there's three prongs to it. It's, it's, it's quite a moniker. Academician Professor Doctor will do. That is what she asked every person she worked with in Romania to call her. Academician Professor Doctor. And this was in her mind. This is who she imagined herself to be. And great PhDs, wonderful, brilliant Romanian scientists all had to play this game with the powers that be and their fake little world just to, um, just to appease Elena Ceausescu. And you can see, well, I remember even uh, flying back to Budapest on one of my many trips there. I remember in the airport, I grabbed a Wall Street Journal and I just started flipping through it. And as I looked, got to, through it, um, I saw this article on Elena Ceausescu. And the report said that as the power started to loosen, the communist power began to wane in Romania, that as that happened, there was a proportionate, a corresponding response in the lies that they told to hold up this paper machete nation and their power in it. Um, in fact, it was so ridiculous, they reported, and I couldn't believe it, but they reported that um, they had, um, had to give accolades to Elena Ceausescu for the creation of the tomato. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that deceit. Imagine that in uh, that unreality. Imagine to be based in the unreal, to be based in the not just imaginary, but the absurd. Imagine to make every person speak your lies. Speak your untruth. Can you imagine it? Well, you know probably their story. Finally, the Romanians had had enough. And on Christmas Day, 1989, both Nicolae and Elena Ceausescu were executed by the Romanian people. Now, that opened quite a door into Eastern Europe. And I was so privileged to be a part of going in, into that world. But what I found was these, um, these spirits of the dead. There's a better way to say it, but this is, this is how I can say it. 
It was as if um, death spirit, a dead spirit was manifesting itself in deceit, in deception, in lies, in nothing burgers, in, I can't say soulless men, but they were, they weren't spirited. The spirits were dead. They didn't know to move to the left or the right. They were skeptical about everything. They didn't trust anybody. Imagine that in your spirit. You trust no one. Oh, their spirit and what that had had produced. It's not Holy Spirit. No, no. And how we, we start to answer the question and you can identify your own self and your own reality or unreality. Or, or your own complicitness in the unreal. You know what I mean. Um, you, you, have, you can judge that for yourself and the Spirit's guiding us. But here, here we're wondering how can humanity be re-spirited through the Holy Spirit? Well, we can look at Jesus I'll quickly move through this. The Gospels have the Spirit coming upon Jesus and remaining. Now that's important because in the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon people with this picture of lunging. He lunged upon them, but it was, it was a moment and then he was off. It was for a reason, a particular purpose, and off. But here, these ones who were very well read in the Old Testament, the longing of their hearts was, where is the promise? When are you going to fulfill your promise to put a new heart in me, us? When are you going to put a new spirit within us? Um, Where is the fulfillment of that promise? And we see that the spirit comes upon Jesus and remains. And in fact, we can see that the spirit was upon Jesus at every stage of his life, regardless of what stage Jesus found himself in, whether it was at conception and birth, whether it was at his baptism. Remember that he is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And it said, the scriptures say the Spirit led him into the wilderness and he returns how? He returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. He claims then, Isaiah's prophecy, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. By the Spirit, the text says, he cast out demons. Wherever he found evil entrenched in human flesh, he was there to cast it out. He lived a life of obedience. How? Of course, in, in, he was the son of the living God. But it's also true, and we have to acknowledge that he lived it in the power of the Spirit. He goes to the cross through the eternal Spirit. He offered himself, the book of Hebrews says, without blemish. This is Christ. This is Jesus and upon whom the Holy Spirit comes. He is the one who receives the fullness of the Spirit, is fully receptive to the Holy Spirit. 
acts and moves, animated, directed, he's guided. Um, he goes to the most unimaginable place you would ever think the Son of God would ever be on Calvary. He goes there and offers himself through the eternal spirit. And there we see Jesus, fully human, fully divine, inspirited, spirited, and, and hearted. This wonderful picture, he has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He has achieved what we could not achieve. And now we have the promise before us here in the book of Hebrews. And two spiritualities fall out of the book of Hebrews and the people of faith. On the one hand was the Mount Sinai spirituality, the Mount, the Mount Sinai holy, holiness, and, and the, what uh, the, this preacher calls Mount Zion coming to Mount Zion. And he contrasts these two spiritualities for us. The one, of course, dangerous and strictly maintained by the temple, by its cult, and by adherence to the Torah. But he pictures this Mount Zion spirituality. The, the holiness of Mount Zion, he pictures, it's through Jesus the Son through Jesus, the Son, all sons and daughters are inspirited. In yes, he has intensified Jesus' own self-offering, his own discipline, his own learned obedience, his own, you have given me a body, I have come to do your will. All of that intensifies that holiness. And the promise comes through Christ to us. And in that sense, that beautiful picture, the Holy Spirit respirited humanity in Christ. So we have our human spirit, our fallen spirit, acting out of our death, out of a dead spirit. And we have Jesus, quite the opposite, fully open to the spirit, to his direction, to his wisdom, to his guidance. We have that to, to the honor and glory of the Father. We have that relationship, that triune God of holy love reality before us, before us. And that is our hope. Jesus' full reception of the Spirit. And what does Acts chapter 2 verse 33 say? The Father gave the Spirit to the Son, and he has poured him out. He has given him to all of his children. And that's the Holy Spirit 
that's poured out on in your life. And that's the Holy Spirit that's poured out on my life. And when the Holy Spirit, in that sense, respirited humanity through Jesus, it's once and for all. You can't deny it. You, you don't need to accept it. it it's, not, it's not about us at that point. He has done what only he can do. But because all of this is true, because all this is true, what does he do but give the Holy Spirit to us, to you, and to me? So these promises were meant to remedy what? The disobedience, the spirit of prostitution and spiritual adultery. It was, he is meant to remedy our love to oppress and our willingness to be oppressed, to stay in oppression and slavery, our, our, our passiveness to go with it, to go with the natural so-called urge. Oh, he, here comes the, he remedies that. Jesus healed the spirit of God's people he broke the die in which the human spirit had been cast in death. He transformed the human spirit by replacing it with a new spirit, a new heart. He has fulfilled, he has made promises, yes, and he's fulfilled every last promise. He has fulfilled every promise to us, including to give us new hearts to give us a new spirit. And through Jesus, this new heartedness was bound to the new humanity he created. And if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God. His promise has been fulfilled in you. You have a new heart. Now you can walk in this world with a heartedness, a real heartedness, a, a spiritedness, not, not your own spirit. No, none of that. Not the spirit of death, but the spirit of life, the, the freedom that he brings. How did he say it to Nicodemus? Oh, you must be born again because unless you're born of the, the spirit and of God, where the spirit and water, you can't see God. But he's new birthing us in life and spirit. Oh, to, to be a part of that new humanity, to be truly holy spirited, to not operate out of those, that old deceit, that old corruption, that old uh, uh, sin enfleshed, sin entrenched in my body. Even my mind, my heart, my spirit. Oh no, he, he's fulfilled his promises. Believers in Hebrews are immersed in the supernatural and the supra-rational because we can't explain it. It's by sheer reception. And that becomes the question. Are you as open 
through Christ to the Holy Spirit? Are you as receptive to the Holy Spirit um, to, to fill you? And not only that, but then to draw you into the life of the triune God of holy love. I'll conclude with a, a story I sometimes share. I heard it all these years ago, and it meant so much to me. It's the story uh, Sam Camelason, wonderful evangelist, uh, who's crisscrossed the globe for Jesus and was a vice president out at World Vision, I, I believe, uh, for, yeah, the, the food, uh, the world uh, for food uh, service. Um, he was a vice president there uh, for years. Now, he's a native uh, Indian, and he's from, I want to say, Madras, uh, India. He tells this story of, uh, of a peanut vendor. vendor. And uh, the peanut vendor it is, uh, gathers, of course, everybody goes to the, um, the beach um, there in Madras. And, and as they're there, the peanut vendors wheel around all of their peanuts in, um, in a wheelbarrow. And as they go through, they're selling and trying to make a living and get by. And, and the peanut vendor, uh, though, decides to take an account of his business. And so he looks at his ledger and he sees that on, on one hand of the ledger, he is, um, he's got a pretty good operation because here he sees that he himself at once is the president and the vice president and the chief executive officer and chief financial officer of his own business concern. However, on this side of the ledger, he sees he's going bankrupt. He's not paying his bills. He's not gonna make it very much longer. So as this sobering reality sinks in, he hides his wheelbarrow behind a bush and decides just to sit down at a little cafe and maybe spend a little money he does have on a coffee or a tea. And he's sitting there and he notices a man, a very well-dressed man, um, dressed in such a way that bespeaks uh, influence and, and uh, power and money. And so he sees him, but it's a busy cafe. So the man gets his tea and says, can I, can I sit with you? And he said, there's the chair. So the man sits down and he begins to talk about their lives and he says, um, you know, what do you do? And he said, well, I will have you know that I am the president and the, the vice president and the chief executive officer and the chief financial officer of a growing business concern in the city. And the guy says, oh, really um, and he says uh, what do you do and he said that's interesting I'm, I'm looking for someone like you um, in fact I have resources uh, I'm looking for someone who knows this area 
and I'd like to partner with you. Would, would you consider that? And he said, sir, he said, I don't speak with strangers. And so the guy said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you may have recognized me from the papers. I'm, my name's Rockefeller. And, and I would like to enter into this, uh, this business concern with you. I'm, I'm looking for just such a guy. And so you would think the peanut vendor would say, this is my lucky day. Oh, where do I sign? Oh, welcome to our city, sir. But if you thought that, you wouldn't know how oppressive and deceitful, how spiritually bankrupt the human spirit is. So he looks at the man and he thinks, if I go into business with this guy, he's going to want to be the president. He's going to want to be the president of this business concern. And he said, but I am the president and the vice president and the chief executive officer and the chief financial officer of a business concern. And he said, sir, I'll have to get back to you on that. And he walks out the door and he finds the bush where he's put his wheelbarrow with all of his peanuts and grabs it and makes his way back to the beach. Yeah. There is something wrong in our spirits. Our spirits, they are disordered. They've got so many loves. We love, we love things that we should not love in place of God. We deceive ourselves. We do. In our spirits, we deceive ourselves. We believe our own press. We believe lies. We believe things that aren't true. And we present that, that spirit has us present that out there. We stay oppressed. We stay oppressed. When we have the resources of the triune God of holy love swooping in beating on the door and not just knocking at the door but crying out behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hear my voice he's not just knocking he's crying out to that spirit to your spirit to your heart it's true there is something wrong with our spirits 
but the very promise of God. Revealed through Jesus Christ our Lord. Was fully human. He was totally receptive to the Holy Spirit. He was totally guided by the Holy Spirit. There was no conflict. There was no battle. There was trust. There was total trust in the fidelity of his father who said, I will not allow my son's body to see corruption. And he didn't. But Jesus believed that in trust. But the Holy Spirit was there shepherding, superintending, guiding that heart to full life. Bring, and he wants to bring us into the very heart of the triune God of holy love. And he wants to pour himself out in such lavished abundance. You can't take it. I can't take it. We can't. But what can we do? Receive. And when Jesus was, after his resurrection, looked at those disciples, entered into that room where those men and women were, it says he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. God keeps his promises. <laughs> and in Christ, we have that reality. And through Christ, we can step out of every deceit. We can step out of every lie. We can step out of every disordering of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. We can, we're empowered through him and he's just drawing us in, drawing us closer so sweetly, so tenderly, so, so gently. But, but, we like our positions on the board of our own lives. And tonight we have a chance, it's just us, we just love the Lord. We just love the Lord, every last one of us. But we have a, night, a, a chance to draw close, to respond publicly, not to the public, but to respond in a public way to the Savior who's drawing you, to the Spirit who wants to fill you afresh, fill you anew. You're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, my I act out of death in my spirit, but I want his cleanness. I want his Holy Spirit to fill me afresh. If, if anyone is here tonight and you sense the spirit speaking to you, nudging you into the wilderness, nudging you in the power of the spirit uh, forward through life, however he's speaking to your heart, I can't not. We can't not give you that opportunity just to, to come forward um, and kneel and pray. Pastor Jeff is going to lead us in, in a song of response. And if the Spirit is speaking to your heart, you'd like to pray with uh, Sean, me, or others, um, we're available. We're, we're totally available to whatever God is doing um, just all I would ask is just mind, mind the Lord. And if you need to pray before you leave this room tonight, well, the altars are open. I would ask that we stand together as the pastor sings. Mm -hmm.